My name is Eddie, and I was in a call. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to survive or evacuate is to leave with us. It started as an effort by a charismatic preacher to build a new society, but it ended, of course, with the tragic deaths of more than 900 people. Please, for God's sakes, let's get on with it. We've lived, we've lived as no other people have lived and loved. We've had as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. This is a revolutionary suicide. This is not a self-destructive suicide. So they'll pay for this. They brought this upon us. You're in a cult. I love you, and I want you out of it and with Christ. But you're, you're, you're... Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, a cultish entering the kingdom of the cults. My name is Jeremiah Roberts, one of the co-hosts here. I'm flying solo today. Uh, Andrew, the super sleuth of the show, is sleuthing away um, at uh, our working on our project on Seventh Day Adventism. We he, we just wanted to have him solely focus on the super sleuthing for that episode. So I'm again flying solo today. I'm here with Will. Uh, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you too, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to jump in. Uh, started the very beginning from when I first met you. Uh, mm-hmm. It was last January. It was, for anyone who goes to Apology, it's man camp. Yeah. That's our uh, men's retreat where we go away and do man stuff and rah, rah, <laughs> you know, like just eat steaks and, and you know, just do all, all, the, all the man stuff. We you did do some it. pretty manly stuff, actually. Right. And then I'll, it was the last evening where we're just hanging around a little bonfire that we had made. I kind of talked to you a little bit in passing, and mm-hmm. I think you had mentioned a couple. You had some experiences and some new age stuff. I didn't know it to what extent. Mm-hmm. You came with some tarot cards that you made yourself. Yeah, that I painted. You had painted yourself, and then you burned them in the fire. We have, we've we posted that video a couple times. Mm-hmm. Where, no, you threw it into the fire, and you wanted to do that. Yeah. It's good to have you here now. I want to hear more. I feel like... I want to hear the full story. Oh yeah. Cause I just, just in that moment, uh, I was like, man, I got to hear more about you. So, mm. um, yeah. So just, uh, tell everyone about, uh, just give them the real quick cliff notes resume. So people kind of know what we're going to talk about and then we'll kind of dissect it piece by piece. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. This yeah. is really exciting for me to get to tell this story and so many things I've never really talked about, uh, uh-huh. before. So I guess, I spent, I've spent the past 30 or so years exploring spirituality and world religions kind of firsthand because mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember, I've been interested in the search for truth. It's just been part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that I was really ever sent on. It's, it's just part of my own curiosity. So uh, I was born Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed when I was 13. And my Torah portion, which is kind of like the, the portion that's given as the sermon in church, my Torah yeah. portion was the Ten Commandments. And uh, that was randomly assigned. I didn't pick it. So if you're going to get a Torah portion, it's a pretty good one to start with. And I remember the rabbi was going over uh, the the nature of the Ten Commandments with me. And I remember he said something along the lines of um, the second uh, the second five of the Ten Commandments are there so you don't violate the first of the five Ten Commandments, right. something like that. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking I was 13, I was like, or 12 actually, I was like, that's really interesting that there's the structure to this that I never would have thought about before. And that's the first time that I can remember really having a thought about religion or spirituality and, and that, that curiosity. So it's really, you're, you're in a, as a young boy, you're in a synagogue and your yeah. rabbi is having this conversation about the Ten Commandments. 
that just gets you just curious that kind of like, what, what is this? Let me, let me see more what this is all about. Is that kind of the, yeah. what that was all about? Yeah. I mean, I was in the rabbi's office and he was, he was talking to me about that. And I can still remember myself in the chair and having this little spark of a thought, like, that's really interesting because I knew what the 10 commandments were. Um, but I didn't, I'd never really given any thought to them as, as a thing. Mm -hmm. I, just remember, I remember being 12 years old and be like, that's really interesting and being really curious about that. And that's the first time I remember having thoughts about religion or spirituality or this idea of wanting to explore. And so then after that, I went to, uh, went to a Jesuit high school, Brophy mm -hmm. here in Phoenix and class, a class on uh, hermeneutics and exegesis on Isaiah was, uh, was the book that I got. And it was interesting being, I was, I was Jewish at the time, being uh, growing up Jewish and going to a Catholic high school mm -hmm. and having to figure out like, well, I don't know much about Catholicism, but I know that whatever I believe is not the same as what these other boys believe and having to come into some amount of reconciliation with mm -hmm. that, but not being uncomfortable with it. Like other people were like, you know, you're Jewish, why are you here? It's like, this is the place where I'm meant to be, right? Or not, this is the best school in town. It's where I'm supposed to be right. going. And so that was the first time I was really introduced to the idea of there being multiple world, world religions and having to exist in this space of, well, I don't know how to reconcile these two, so I'm just going to exist in the tension of it. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's up, everyone? Have you ever wanted to get behind the microphone and chat with myself and Andrew, the super sleuth of the show here at Cultish? Well, guess what? You get to do exactly that this October, October 27th through the 29th. ReformCon, October 27th through the 29th. You get a chance to meet Andrew and I. A bunch of awesome speakers. This is a great lineup, including myself and Andrew, the super sleuth of the show. So check that out. And can't wait to meet you all there and have a great conversation. Now back to the episode. With, with Je when you mentioned like you're going to a Jesuit high school, I feel like that word it gets thrown around, especially what, in, high the school? New age, in the new age world. Oh. Just because it's very, that Jesuit almost gets thrown out as a pejorative. Oh, okay. Like these are the people that are controlling the world. You know, <laughs> Dr. Fauci is a Jesuit. This person is, is a Jesuit. I don't know. The I Pope guess, is a Jesuit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like what is, like when you, what's that like? I mean, being in that world, I mean, was they, did they have kind of like their own brand of, I don't know, like what's, what, from your perspective, like what's that like with uh, being in a Jesuit high school? Like, well, somewhere in the sophomore year, they, they took us down into the catacombs where they showed us the place that they actually controlled the world from. Oh. It was a big control room. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's interesting. No, I mean. Kind of like uh, a pinky in the brain episode? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the several floors beneath right. the ground. <laughs> what's the spies like us? Like Chevy, mm -hmm. that Chevy Chase movie? Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know that I could uh, properly articulate the difference between Jesuit and, and Catholic proper theology, uh -huh. but they really cared about making sure that, um, that we got a good education, especially the priests that really came across. They forced us to think very hard mm -hmm. about uh, literary and religious issues, asked very tough questions, and uh, not every teacher there was, was Catholic or Jesuit for that matter, not all of them were priests. But I just remember it being a very rigorous education that taught me how to think critically about things. But I don't know that I, I ever learned while I was there that much about Catholic theology or I didn't know how to take in what I was learning. We learned about the Bible and about Western religion, the Western religious tradition kind of broadly, but I never walked away feeling like, oh, I want to be Catholic now. But I did mm -hmm. participate in uh, the masses and I did, get, did go on the retreats, the Kairos retreats that they were leading, which had a lot of singing and a lot of um, personal discussions about life and, and forgiveness and stuff. So that was that was what I got mm -hmm. exposed to there, but I, I wouldn't say that I'd be able to really say what Jesuit theology is about. Yeah. With your pursuit of religion, just curiosity, what was your what was your upbringing like? Did you have a like a strong 
household, mother and father, or what, what was the nature of your upbringing when it comes to that? Because I feel like a lot of times when I've spoken with people who are in the, who kind of end up going to the new age, a lot of the catalyst from go, goes to that comes from their, their, their background home. as far as a home, whether it's yeah. a put together home, most of the times a broken home. What's that like? What was that like for you growing up? Uh, my parents were married and, um, you know, they stayed married the entire time while I was home. They did get divorced after I went to college. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that that was <clears throat> where my, excuse me, where that was my interest, where my interest in spirituality came from. That really started when I moved up to the Bay Area to go to college. And I sort of became immersed in this, you know, Bay Area, new age, new wave kind of like way of looking at the world where, and I became a DJ in the rave scene, played in nightclubs and festivals. And that was where that whole thing really, really took off with a lot of the experiences that I had with psychedelics and drugs and Buddhism and Eastern mysticism was just a part of that. And that's where I really began exploring the new age because it was just a taken for granted way of seeing the world. My interest in spirituality broadly is, is, has been a part of me as far back as I can remember. But when I was growing up, just to give a sense of the religious background, like we weren't um, you know, there's different kinds of Judaism. We were mostly secular, but right. we did observe the the high holidays. So Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah at the, the big the big auditorium downtown, the big high holiday services. We did go to those. Mm-hmm. We didn't celebrate Christmas. We celebrated Passover. Um, but there was it wasn't really like a discussion about this is how ultimate reality works. It was more of like a, a cultural thing. Gotcha. So it wasn't until it wasn't until I got to the Cal- California. Mm. that I really started diving into a lot okay, of Okay, at least more. as a young kid, like the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler, like you'd really resonate with that. <laughs> <You're gonna laughs> it would be funny for a second. Oh, just taking me back. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're you're in very traditional uh, Jewish household, very you know strict observance, uh, at least from your perspective of the Torah, you know, the observance of certain holidays and other holidays you're not involved in. Right. Like at what point did kind of like the very first step like into the new age uh, go to like, uh, oh, yeah. was it like an Eckhart Tolle book? Was it some sort of like, was it like a Tony Robbins, like audio where he's <laughs> talking about the law of attraction mm. or, you know, so for some people it starts off with a book, the secret. Right. And then it goes to some sort of conference that is like the author's hosting with a bunch of other people. Then they find out like Dr. Wayne Dyer, like you name mm. it. And it just it starts going and progressing. Like, what was it like for you? Where was the first, where was like step one of the uh, first path on a thousand steps? Well, when I went to, when I went to the Bay area to go to school, I took, I was taking classes on, um, on Taoism and Buddhism in college, because again, it was expressing my religious interest, but it wasn't until new year's Eve, 2000, Y2K actually, I was at a rave here in Phoenix. Um, I was living in California, but I came back to go to this rave and I took an ecstasy pill. And I had that first psychedelic experience, you know, and immediately after that fell into the whole, the whole DJ world and the underground DJ world in California at the time was just saturated with, um, saturated with, you know, uh, be here now, Terrence McKenna, this is pre nine 11 too. So it's like Terrence McKenna, um, uh, wrote a book called, um, uh, it's about the primitive, something about the primitive, um, return of the primitive, something like that. And again, Ram Das and a lot of Eastern mysticism and Hinduism and, and you know, Paramahansa Yogananda, like it's mm. just part of that world. And yeah. so that's how I, that's how I splashed down into it. These conversations were happening all the time. Well, yeah. And there's always interesting too, because things do go hand in hand. It's funny you mentioned the uh, whole, the whole DJ and trance world yeah. and how like literally that goes hand in hand with ecstasy. So when you think Absolutely. about like the pre 
Oh, 2000. The only reason why I know about trance is because Pastor Jeff, we ran a karate school together, uh. and he would like listen to like that techno and trance as he would like work on his karate, work on his forms. So I, that's oh, the wow. other byproduct why I know people, people like DJ Tiesto, mm-hmm. Paul Oakenfold. Mm-hmm. But when you the people who go down those rabbit trails, especially those who like go to their concerts, mm-hmm. um, man, oh man, like you yeah. are entering. You're not. You're entering into a wild world when you go into that. But those, things, those two things are interconnected. Oh, yeah. But you also see the commonality between even like psychedelic uses, which we'll jump into, and New Age spirituality. They're inherently intertwined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the DJ world has like three layers to it. There's the, the nightclub world. Which is you know which is the which is like a nightclub you know right. alcohol and stuff like that a layer below beneath that there's like the small rave and like warehouses are in the forest or something like that that's a different set of drugs and then you go to the big massive festivals I know you want to talk about Burning Man and Burning Man we'll is the most ma- yeah, is, is yeah. The, is the most massive of all of them that's where you get into the really the hardcore psychedelics that's where you get into the 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 uh, acid and mushrooms and DMT and all that stuff. So the deeper you go into it, the more um, the more psychedelic it gets versus mm-hmm. like the surface level and the bars and stuff like that. So that uh, that whole world is is really where you got to, you get to see where the values are made manifest. Right. Um, you know, into just again Eastern mysticism and Shiva and Buddha and aliens yeah. on mushrooms and right. stuff like that. And they really believe all that. Like that's right. just, and, and Jesus is not allowed at those festivals, mm-hmm. by the way, he's not, he's not welcome. You can sneak him in though. We'll talk about that. Yeah. 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 Um, with, so you're doing the, uh, DJ trance start getting into ecstasy and tell me again, like how did that, like how to explain like what was the catalyst from those two things put together mm-hmm. into like the other new age modalities yeah so uh in that world you know we're just when we're not like djing we're just all hanging out and talking and naturally right. we're talking about spirituality also the matrix came out around this time and that got everyone asking all these big questions about reality you know yep. it's like wake up out of the matrix right so it's just sort of a subject of conversation people are again reading spiritual books and are going back to the 60s you know because ram Dass wrote this book called be here now yeah. right and you start exploring the, the origins of the dj culture which it which is in the psychedelic culture of like the 1960s sort of metastasized to mm-hmm. like a new to a new expression through through DJ culture, so that's just the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, you know. Also, too, like I'm I'm 41, and you're you got like I'm, two years. I'm 44. 44. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Well, I guess both of us are aging well. So <laughs> yes. Guess uh, I got to keep on working on that. But um, yeah, dude. It, people don't realize. I mean, it, right now it's 2022. Yeah. And they're, they're right now you can go on Netflix or Amazon Prime, yeah. or you can go to all the different streaming stations. Like pe- people didn't realize like the impact that the film like the matrix had mm-hmm. yeah like it was revolutionary from special effects like obviously bullet time like seeing trinity jump up and do that 360 kick mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and watching kind of like all that eastern film and the first dojo fight scene and fighting agent smith yeah but there was so much layered like spirituality in that that got people. That's yeah. what made it a cult film. I mean, there's plenty of other films that came out at that time with cool, like similar special effects. Mm-hmm. There was something about the Matrix that was really had a longevity mm-hmm. because of what was communicated. Even when you talk about the psychedelics, like the very opening scene where, uh, well, this where uh, Neo is talking to this, the people that he's doing the trade off, mm-hmm. where he's giving them, you know, because he's a hacker, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's like, "Do you ever have that feeling like you're awake? You don't really know it." And I think the guy refers to some sort of like masculine psych- masculine. Yeah. 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 But then all of a sudden he follows them like to this night rave techno club. Yep. Which was so prominent 
like during that time. Yeah. So it would make sense, especially for anyone around this time, like in college, I, it was a cult film. I knew people who watched it like 50, 60 times. It was crazy. Uh, uh, yeah, people were dressing up and waiting in line. And also at the same time, a bunch of movies came out and I think it was the same summer, the same time. It was The Matrix, yeah. Fight Club, Office Space. All three of these movies came out around the same time. And there was also this movie Blade with Wesley Snipes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, where he goes to the underground vampire rave. Right. It was, just part of the, it was part of the culture. It was just being manifest in all these ways. But when you put together the message of The Matrix, Fight Club, and Office Space... That's a pretty powerful anti-establishment message that takes everything way too far. It says true things, but then the conclusions that these movies draw are way, way, way too extreme yeah. and ultimately destructive. But when you feed that all into the mind of young college kids, they don't, they don't know any better. And when you have a destroyed social structure, many of whom are coming from broken homes kind of situations, they don't necessarily have the critical thinking skills to be able to say, hey, maybe that's going a bit too far. But that's what was going on around, around the turn of the century. Yeah. No, 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 for sure. And then, millennium. So, yeah, which also when we talk about the millennium, I mean, like time wise too, a lot of people don't realize from 1997 to, two, to 2000, there was just a lot of wondering, like, what did the year 2000, like really mm -hmm. entail the Why? beginning of the millennium? There was just a lot of people that had a, a apocalyptic of ideas. You had like Y2K. Y2K, all the computers in the world are going to oh, shut yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. there, there are plenty of people, even like people, Bible prophecy experts saying the book of Revelation was talking about Y2K and... Here we all, all this later, all this technology intact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so where where did it go from here? So you're checking out stuff like The Matrix, you're in the, the DJ world, mm -hmm. you're, you start experimenting with other stuff. Obviously, mm -hmm. you mentioned masculine and other things like oh, that. Oh, I, I did. I personally didn't try masculine, but acid, ecstasy, mushrooms yeah. were like just part of the part of the currency, I guess you might say. Yeah. Also, I, I left school. I started my own company. I'd started a dot-com. And so uh, we had raised like $25 million from Hewlett Packard. So, yeah. you know, I was a young guy. I was at the time like uh, 21, 22 years old, making a ton of money, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't have anything to spend it on, but having a good time. Mm -hmm. So here I am able to have a really great time on the weekends and still get my stuff done during the week in this visionary kind of world. So then once that wrapped up, I went back to school and that's when I discovered uh, Jungian psychology. I took a class on Carl Jung, which is all about the inner mind and, and, right. and, the, and the way to understand the self and this. Um, and so that all fit together with a lot of the DJ stuff from the psychedelic world going into the inner world, like oh, all the different pieces of the mind, the way to understand oneself. And that's when, that's when I started going in that direction of exploring psychology yeah so almost like you were seeing like the layers of like oneism like yeah you know, no blend like a complete blending of uh, us with creation there's no distinction between creator and creation all is one all is self yes yes and all of a sudden it's like you are reading this philosophy that's depicting this worldview and then you're saying and just tell me if i'm correct i'm just thinking out loud like this worldview is almost affirming or depicting accurately my your psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. It's helping understand the psychedelic experiences because the psychedelic experiences take you deep in, into yourself and not necessarily in good ways or even enjoyable ways. But it's difficult to understand what's actually going on in there because it's a it's a big mess inside the human mind. There's so and mind and heart. There's so much going on, and uh, Jung Jung's approach to it and Freud as well because Jung ba was based on Freud's work helped me start taking some of those things apart. In in some of the ways, it was actually good because it helped me understand like confusing things that I was experiencing. But the ideology that comes with it, the oneist ideology that comes with so much of it is the part that they don't actually talk about. You know, it's it's some of the ideas like, hey, you can use this, you can use this to change your life. And what you don't understand yeah. is all these other train cars are attached to that idea that you never mm -hmm. end up questioning, that I didn't end up questioning until years later. Yeah. 
All right. So where did it go from here? Did you, when you got into the young psychology, did it end there? Was it like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I've found, I found the oasis in the desert. I can just reside here and go on with my life. Or was that a catalyst to go to try one thing after another? That's how, that's how the new age, the new age world works is it's always, um, it's always one thing after another. Yep. I can, I can explain why that is, or do you want me to save that for well, later? You know, maybe explain, maybe just a little bit, because, and this is something, if anyone has listened into our other episode, you see a consistent pattern with people, yeah. people will get into the new age by way of like a simple book, maybe getting into something where they experience a psychedelic for the first time, mm-hmm. but it's never enough. It's almost, no. I use the term a spiritual narcotic. Yes. Very much. Is that an accurate? Is that an accurate depiction? It's both. So um, the the New Age world is heavily based on Eastern mysticism, mm-hmm. like uh, Advaita Vedanta and uh, and some aspects of Buddhism. What the East, what Eastern mysticism says is any notion of you and me being separate beings is actually false. Yeah. That at a deeper level of reality, all is all is one. So we have this experience of having a conscious mind, of having an ego, of having free will. Mm-hmm. Eastern mysticism says your free will is an illusion. So you have this knot of consciousness, right? And you have to get past this knot of consciousness to realize your eternal oneness. And that's enlightenment or nirvana. Mm. To get past this knot of, un- of consciousness, you have to untie the knot. What the new age does is it takes that and it says to untie this really complicated knot, you have to do this modality to peel off this and then this modality to peel off this. And then you end up, mm. you end up peeling forever trying to undo this knot of free will but you'll never actually get there. That's, well, he, you can never actually yeah. do it. Well, even from a worldview standpoint, that's self-refuting because you are the knot and the knot is you. Yes. Like, how can you untie yourself from something yes. that is yourself? In yes. the same way, the whole idea behind the New Age, and I feel like every single person in the New Age, they always try and seek ascension by yes. any way possible, whether it's uh, trying, like I said, trying to go to Burning Man or trying to do Kundalini Yoga mm-hmm. or if it's Reiki healing, they're all trying to ascend. Mm-hmm. But how do you ascend outside of yourself when all is self? There's no way to get outside of this. Yeah. And so it ends up being like literally like this vicious karmic circle. Yes, yes. You, you, uh, that's why people get trapped in this loop of spending more and more money and doing more and more extreme things. Like if you haven't actually achieved it, you just haven't tried hard enough yet. So yeah. trying hard can be an investment of either time, money, or energy. And mm-hmm. so you get people doing these really, um, these really difficult practices for long periods of time, trying to undo the knot of self or spending tens of thousands of dollars or even giving their lives over to a guru, stuff like that. To, the mm-hmm. more energy that you pour into yourself trying to undo yourself. And right. as, you, as you rightfully sense, it's a, it's a trap and you can't, actually, you can't mm-hmm. actually do it. Yeah. So after you're doing that type of uh, psychology and that study in, uh, in college, like what was the next step? Because mm-hmm. uh, again, given what we're talking about, and this is a progressive story, it didn't end there. Mm-hmm. What was the next step after that? The next step after that is I, um, around the same time I started going to Burning Man. I've been to three times, and that's just what you do in the Bay Area. It's just now it's a. a the first time was 2003? 2003, yeah. What was it like the very first time that you went there? It was like the it was kind of like the Wild West actually. Like no one really knew what they were doing. Everything was very much like plywood and fire and it had this real like renegade spirit but also infused with a lot of the um a lot of the same uh, drugs and sex kind yeah. of sexuality. How did you find now how did you find out about it cuz like 2003 was pre social media. I mean we had we had email. 
America Online. <laughs> oh, and did we? Could we text in two thousand three? I can't remember. I first texted in two thousand four, so I don't think so. But even if you did, you had to hit like one to, the the, <laughs> yeah. the circle between yeah. like A, B, and C. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even tell people too. Like you don't know. <laughs> To like the younger generation, you got the iPhone 14 coming out. Like you haven't seen the things I've seen. <laughs> you don't know me. We had, you <laughs> don't know, know me. <laughs> we had to fast forward through cassette tapes if we wanted yeah. to hear the next song. Yeah. yeah, you had to get it right when you were rewinding. Yeah. But communicate was it word of mouth or was it a flyer? Did you get it like an ad? Was it just like part of maybe just a college fraternity you were part of back then was that was into that like what no i mean how'd like you find out about in it? the dj and rave scene you know we would go to festivals there'd be various and this is in the bay area too so there'd be various festivals in the bay area to go to and people just knew about it and in the bay area we did actually have other forms of social media we had um tribe.net which was very popular i don't know that it ever made it uh, nationwide and live journal so those were two social media platforms that me and my circle of friends were using someone would inevitably find out about it's like oh there's this thing in the desert plus at that point Burning Man had been going on at Baker Beach in San Francisco for, I want to say like 10 years. So it started on a beach um, just beneath the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And then it got so big, then it moved out to the Nevada desert where people have started hearing about it now. Mm -hmm. So I think when I went in 2003, it had been in the desert for maybe, you know, three to five years. But even then it was 30,000 people, mm -hmm. right? But it was all just a word of mouth thing. And it was, yeah. even back then it was like, it was like, People would say, oh, I'm taking the last week off. They wouldn't tell their employers. It's like, oh, I'm going to take this week off to go on vacation, to go spend time with family is what people would say. Yeah. But now Burning Man is literally part of of, cult, of San Francisco culture. Like right. you have to go almost. Well, it's also interesting too. Well, he knocked over actually. This book, Kingdom of the Occult by uh, Dr. Walter Martin. I figured I'd have this on set just yeah. to, I mean, well, this is a catalyst for a conversation that yeah. we'll, we'll talk about further on the podcast. Uh by now, if you went in the video, if you've watched the video, you've seen it long enough, you know what the book is. Yeah. Um, He's great, by the way. You yeah. introduced me to him. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, like, 2003, you had, like, 30,000 people yeah. that were at this festival. Mm -hmm. Like, what did what did you see, like, happening, like, at this festival? You mean, like, drugs and, and every people are just sort of doing everything like they are now, just kind of dressing up all these, like, different... Uh, costumes, mm -hmm. uh, wearing stuff, or the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and people are just, yeah, kind of take us into that world. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so Burning Man is a music and arts festival in the Nevada. In Nevada, Nevada you're putting Nevada. like quotation marks. Well, like, so, so there's a whole ideology that comes with the Burning Man uh, world, and uh, very similar to Oneism and the New Age and Eastern mysticism, they frame all forms of, of self-expression as inherently spiritual. And if mm -hmm. it's inherently spiritual, it's inherently good. So. The idea is that you go out to Burning Man for one week a year and you are free to express yourself however seems best for you. Whatever constraints that you put on yourself in the normal world, you take those off when you go to Burning Man and you express yourself however you want and your freedom of self-expression, whatever that is, whether that's painting your body blue and walking around naked, whether it's you know all kinds of hedonistic practices, drinking, drugs, alcohol, sex, dancing, whatever it is, yeah. and, also, and also artwork and, and music and stuff, that is by nature inherently, inherently spiritual. So you see all of that out there you know and it, it's yeah. it's it's and it's the place where it's not only and it's not only um facilitated it's encouraged mm -hmm. you know it's it's like you're supposed to go out there and you're supposed to express yourself express yourself in the craziest possible way and that's mm -hmm. how you do burning man that's how you do it right is yeah. to is to really to really do it up like are you really expressing yourself enough are you going crazy enough are you really being spiritual enough that's the whole ideology behind the thing so but back then 
it wasn't as clearly articulated. So you had people like, what are we doing out here in the desert? I'll just kind of go crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and do cool stuff and blow stuff up that we couldn't do in the regular world. But I went back 10 years later in 2013 and all that had changed and the festival had really gone pro and it really, it's, it's values had really hardened and crystallized into hedonism and, and radical self-expression of whatever it is, is, is now mandatory. Back then Mm. it was, it was a bit more renegade, really like the wild west. Those values were there, but it was just an element. But then that those values had taken over a decade later. This episode is brought to you by Apologia Studios. Coltish would not be possible if it wasn't for, Apologia Studios, where we film our show and record our show out of. So if you want to support the studio, which will allow Cultish to remain a weekly content for you to enjoy, please go to ApologiaStudios.com. You can uh, become an all-access member, and that, will, again, will support the studio, which will allow Cultish to be a possibility for you to enjoy on a weekly basis. Now, back to the episode. But even though I never saw the movie, there's a, I think there's a couple movies that came out, uh, like The Purge. We're all of a sudden like one one night you get one night to be able to do whatever you want yeah. to do. Yeah. The rest of the time everything else is like illegal. Yeah. Almost in the same way Burning Man, you've got like one week to yes. fully express yourself. Literally. But then once that happens, you get back in your gas guzzling uh, RVs yep. and create a bunch of carbon emissions as you are driving out of uh, Burning Man. Yes. Given and but the rest of the time you can worry about saving the planet. Right. Well, that's the thing is they call the people who go to Burning Man call it home. And when you ride when you drive up to Burning Man at the entrance, it says a big sign that says "Welcome Home." Right. The idea being Burning Man is your home where you can be your true self and you're being your fake self the rest of the time. Now that that idea is, has this romantic kind of appeal, but it's actually really destructive to think that way. Mm-hmm. That you, that fifty one weeks of of your life per year, you're not home, but that one week of the year is your home. It's actually the other way around. But people get really lost and they focus their whole lives on that one week of the year where they can really be themselves and completely miss that the rest of the year you're also actually like being yourself, yeah. right? And so you so you nailed it. Yeah. So in other words, like they're they're literally like planning like when someone's leaving like we had that uh, we posted the picture on social media of that nine hour like trek yeah that's, of that's people an like thing leaving uh burning man but even like as they're leaving as they're in many ways both physically and spiritually hung <clears throat> over for that entire week of yep. just all the craziness um they're already thinking okay how do we how do i get myself ready for next year yes they'll get back and, and they'll immediately start thinking about next year so Camps as start planning and everything okay and so, like, what about BlackRock? They call it BlackRock City. Mm-hmm. That's the name for it. Like, why? Where, where did that name come from? Why did they call it that? Do you know? I, I don't actually know. Um, uh, but it's just the, it's the location. BlackRock City is the, the formal name of the place. Burning Man is the festival that's held at BlackRock City. But BlackRock City doesn't exist except for, um, except for a couple weeks a year. When I say a couple weeks, the festival itself is only one week, but there are a bunch of people on site a week to two weeks before building all the mm-hmm. structures and then a week to two weeks after tearing it all down and cleaning up. But Black Rock City is where they host it. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense then. So like going back, like you're, you're this whole trajectory of a journey, like looking into spirituality, understanding this, like this what was the name of the, the psychology you're going through in high school? It was- uh, the, Jungian psychology. Yeah, Jungian psychology. Um, so you're going through all that and then you go to Burning Man for the first time and people have kind of seen- bits and pieces even a lot of people on social media are like there's like moms who are like what is burning man yeah. like they don't even know what it is yeah and maybe i can just uh go off track just for a second this is important like why are we even discussing something like burning man yeah what well, was something that was kind of fringe 
uh, on like back in 2003 that was like super punk rock. This is like an underground like punk rock show. Like whoever the people who saw the Ramones for the first time in some backstage somewhere, mm-hmm. like that would be equivalent to what Burning Man was in 2003. I think that's fair. Now it would be the equivalent of them like opening up with the Rolling Stones and like everyone knows who the Ramones and the Rolling Stones are. Yes. And not only that, there are, there are Burns, Burning Man festivals now that are around the world. Burning Man was always intended to not just be one festival in the Nevada desert. Now there are bur- there are continental and even national burns. There's a thing called Africa Burn. Right. Apparently, some of these some of these Burning Man festivals around the world attract tens of thousands of people as well. Yeah. So where they they're exporting the ideology to other countries. Right. So this is just indicative of what you're seeing depicted in entertainment. You're seeing the yes. normalization of psychedelics, but you're also seeing the normalization of these festivals, which is really just a regurgitation of just ancient neo-paganism. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if anyone actually looks at what happens in a Burning Man festival, like, are you actually shocked? I mean, given the fact if you did look at ancient Greece, uh, mm-hmm. if you look at the Persian Empire, you look at any of these ancient empires, are they not, they're doing similar festivals and then some like way extra than we are now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I know I, I have never been there Praise God for that. But, uh, and I heard about it only after, but there's a place at Burning Man called the Orgy Dome. It's literally a, door, a dome that you can walk into. And I got no idea what goes on in there, but I think the name itself is provocative enough. This, it seems to be very self-explanatory for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. And, and the thing is, if you make yourself and your own self-expression God, and you seek to worship that God, what's the end product of that? The end product of that, whatever, it, 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 everything is permitted. Do what thou wilt. I was literally thinking that yeah. I was about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worldviews have consequences for they sure. Absolutely do. They absolutely do. All right. So you left. So leaving 2003, like after you'd experienced really the underground version of Burning Man for the first time, like what was it? Was it, were you still kind of rubbing it, running off sort of like the spiritual ecstasy where it felt like this is the most amazing transcendent experience? Was it kind of like, I don't know, well, maybe they have you longing for something more or what? What happened after that? Yeah, I mean, at that point, it just becomes a way of life. You know, exploring new age, mystical kind of ideas is just the way that I'm kind of living. Again, part of that is because of my natural curiosity about spirituality and religion that goes back to when I was a little kid. Part of it is because that's the cultural expectation of living in San Francisco. Part of that is being in the dance and DJ world. And and part of it is like, you know, an inappropriate fun. You know, like it's like, it's not necessarily good for me, but it's like, it's just part of my life in all this way that I'm not really questioning. Part of the reason why that is, is because there's no worldview that's permitted to be outside it that questions it. Because the only worldview that's outside of Eastern mysticism, New Age is Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you that's the place you don't go there. That is the yeah. forbidden land, right? So, right. so where are you going to pop out from the New Age world to look at it objectively from the outside? There really isn't any, there really isn't any option. Right. Mm-hmm. Besides like atheism, but like atheism ultimately ends up in a very similar, similar place of hedonism, just with fewer mystical trappings. Yeah. And that's that's the distinction. I think one of the reasons why Jesus, the real person, the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, who is the God come in the flesh, is so antithetical to New Age thinking yes. and, and just all sorts of pagan spirituality and, and, and whatever you want to call it is because Jesus Christ represents distinctly twoism versus oneism. Yes. There's a complete distinction between creator and creation, but there's also a complete 
uh, intermingling of sorts of the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of this spirituality is also connected to Gnosticism, which was the yes. first and uh, the first enemy of the Christian church, where Gnosticism was saying that the flesh is evil, mm-hmm. but the spirit is good. And you see that also carried out in the idea of like the ego and trying to separate yourself from that. The gospel and who Christ is makes that categorical distinction. So as much as people will try and have Jesus on their team and try and say he's an ascended master. Christ consciousness. Right? Yeah. But when you start actually pushing on who the gospels are, there's a lot of willful prejudice towards, you know, explaining the way the gospels, but totally giving credence to something like the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of the Essenes. Right. There's definitely a willful prejudice there for sure. Uh, what is, so you're talking about, you know, being curious. What happened after 2003 Burning Man? Like, I know you said you, tr- you started traveling. Oh, that was you, way later. Way later. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the category? It was 2003. I did travel a bit. I did, did travel overseas in Europe in 2004 for about okay. three weeks. Um, uh, maybe it was longer than that. But that was more that was more an expression of like, yeah. I want to be a professional DJ, so I'm going to go to the nightclubs in Europe and I'm going to see how they do things down there. I wouldn't say that was necessarily like a, 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 tr- a spiritual trip, a new age trip. But I mean, it had everything in the new age world has this entire attitude of it's all about developing and expressing the self. So I would say right. that it was spiritual in the sense of like, this is my hero's, this is my hero's journey, mm-hmm. right, to, to do this. So it was spiritual in that sense, but it wasn't like I'm going to go do explicitly new age kind of things. But I did go to Europe in 2004 but what so you continue with your question i mean yeah um the next time you went was uh 2000 2013 2013 yeah and but then you went again in 20 2015 2015 like what was like maybe walk through like what was the gap in between those burning mans like you like what was a linear timeline of things you got curious into you mentioned you're doing djing in europe mm-hmm. which i can only imagine i mean you have that's extra on top of like American mm-hmm. DJing uh, and clubbing. You take it seriously like, over there. Oh yeah, very seriously. Yeah. And as we said, and he's like the standard a lot of times is anything worth doing is worth overdoing. <laughs> and you <laughs> yes. probably saw that carried out for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a good example is that, you know, in America, nightclubs only stay open usually until two o'clock in the morning or so because that's when the bars close. Right. right. So, um, but in Europe, nightclubs like start at two o'clock in the morning right, mm. around the world because they don't have those same those same laws so um and the entire the entire global dj world is fueled by cocaine and alcohol like it's yeah. just that's just how it runs thankfully i never got into either of those things but i know a lot of people who've completely lost themselves as a result of that mm. um but so i guess over the course of from 2003 to 2013 i continued exploring psychology probably more directly in the realm of of Jungian psychology um, because I found it was really it was really interesting to try and understand my own mind as a man because studying masculinity has been something that I've been interested in for the past by this point it's like 20 or so years um, but I found that it was helpful for me uh, to under to understand that to heal various aspects of myself but I continued reading as many books about Eastern mysticism and spirituality as I could get my hands on that's when I found Eckhart Tolle there was a book called like new self new world which tries to put Buddhism together with like astrology um, and, and various practices like that. I've done all kinds of different healing modalities, different kinds of body work and sound healing and, and all this stuff. It's just what you do. You mm. know, it's like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like a cool way to experience the self or to transcend the self. Let me do that. And so I spent a number of years doing that. I didn't go back to Burning Man during that time because Burning Man's actually a very expensive uh, proposition to go. What do people like? How much did it cost? Do you know what it costs now to go to it? Wasn't it like $2,500 just for the ticket? 
oh, I, I don't even know, but I would expect to pay at least that much because you have to bring your own food, bring your own water, right? How are you going to get out there? Are you going to borrow someone's car? Your car is going to get full of dust. You're going to have to get your car cleaned. Yeah. You know, are you going to an RV? An RV is a whole whole thing. You know, do you want to camp in a tent? Like you can go on the cheap, but you're going to be spending, you know, on the cheap still means probably like a, like a couple, a thousand to $2,000. If I had to guess, I don't even know what the tickets are. The last I heard a, a, a discount ticket was $900, but that may have changed. Mm. But the, remember 80,000 people and plus, so run the numbers on that. Plus there are camps. So giant camps of people, I believe that the camps have to pay a fee as well. Huge mm. money-making endeavor. The Burning Man uh, Foundation, I think it's called, which helps coordinate all these worldwide. It's a giant, it's a giant organization mm. that has a giant ideology attached to it that no one ever questions because the promise of drugs and sex and hedonism is, and fun mm. and breaking free from the strictures of society. And so no one ever asks the question like what they're signing up for and what they're what they're swallowing, you know, when they Right. When they and not every single and some people are just going along to have like a fun just a fun time. Yeah, it's just a party like, time. When you look at it almost even like looking at some of the videos like I know people I'm connected to who went and they're posting on their Instagram stories and some of the stuff looks like vehicles like out of Mad Max Fury Road, mm -hmm. like people literally is like something look look like someone's playing something like that one guy with a guitar with a probably the fire going out of it. Yeah, like it looks like something out of it. So there's almost part of me, even as a Christian, even we're talking about aspects in which the spiritual dangerous. There's parts visually I'm like, that sounds kind of cool. There, there, there are very cool things to see there. Like there are people that that take the opportunity on the desert on the playa to do works of art that they can't do anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. you know, but but again, when you're going, what are you going to be exposed to? What are you going to be around? What are you going yeah. to witness? What are you going to be asked to take for granted that actually you shouldn't be taken for granted, right? Mm -hmm. and the, the, the worldview that comes with it. Right. What is the, so like, what does like the Burning Man represent? I mean, it's there all week, this tower, and it's like, it's a circled encampment. If anyone looks, if you can Google like Burning Man view, mm -hmm. guys looked it up the other day. Mm -hmm. I'm someone again from the outside looking in. It's you got 8,000 people and it's essentially like circling the circle mm -hmm. and the burning man's right in the middle. Yep. And then it's at the very, very end of the festival where they, they burn it. Yeah, they blow it up. What, what's, what's the idea behind that? Did that idea come out of a vacuum or is there like a worldview uh, behind what they're trying to depict mm. uh, within this festival that you're aware of? Within the Burning Man community, there's a lot of debate about what the man stands for. And, and this, I think the party line, if you want to call it that, is the man stands for whatever you want it to. And uh, I, never, I never really bought that. I, I always looked at the man as representing um, the man. You know, like that's like, you know, stick it to the man kind of thing, mm -hmm. like society, you know, Western civilization, whatever you want to call it, rules, laws, external authority, like mm -hmm. they're going to set up the man and the man is who, uh, who we all worship. I'm, I'm applying this language to the thoughts that I would have had at the time. The man is what we all worship during the year, right? And we go out to Burning Man and uh, we have this big party where we do whatever we want for six or seven days in the desert. No laws, no rules, no whatever, mm -hmm. right? And then we blow up the man, like, stick to yeah. the man. And then, and then Saturday night turns into just this giant, giant disaster. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's, that's what I think the man stands for. Now you can apply, I suppose, whatever you want to, to the man. It can be a man. It can be particular. It can be a version of yourself, but I really think the man that's meant to be burned is the laws of, um, what we might understand or understand as like modern society. Yeah. And so in between this time, you're, you're going around kind of jumping from, you know, spiritual practice to spiritual practice, yep. basically just going from 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G when mm-hmm. it comes to practices. And then it was a while. You have two thousand. You have a five year gap between uh, two thousand. Well, ten years. Uh, no, ten years. Mm-hmm. Like why? Why the extended amount of time? Like what made you all of a sudden like say, okay, it's time. It's time to go back. Was it just? Did it just work out that way, or is this something that recollected maybe trying to maybe recapture some of the spiritual ecstasy back then, or what was the transition period? A lot of things happened for me around the same time at, at 2013, in 2013. Um, but uh, part of what happened in that 10-year gap is I got into a relationship, and uh, and I'm very much a camping-centric kind of guy, yeah. and she was very much a uh, RV-centric kind of girl, and the, op- the to go to festival like Burning Man in an RV is a much more massive expense than, than a tent for, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we were, we were unable to reconcile on that one. And plus, you know, the money went to other things. So, uh, but in 2013, um, a couple that was friends of mine got married and they were having their honeymoon at Burning Man. So they invited them, they invited some of their close friends to come with them in an RV. So the RV was all taken care of. So me and my girlfriend at the time went back in 2013 as part of their RV to celebrate this couple's honeymoon. That's like, it seems to be such the opposite, like idea of honeymoon, right? right? It's like you think highest like, effort vacation. You know, ever. like I'm engaged right now, and we're in. I'm talking with my fiance about like where we're gonna go and what that looks like. But we're thinking Coachella, pri- so. private, yeah, <laughs> private. Like, I'm thinking like private cabin out in the mountains, maybe somewhere or like alone with the two of us. But the idea of going where there's eighty thousand people, and given you know now as Christians, we're looking the the monogamous nature of like being together and being married and 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 honestly like you just mentioned there's a place where there's a where there's orgies going on mm-hmm. it just seems to be the total last place i would think of in my mind to do a honeymoon at yeah it's it, it, burning man is renowned for being near lethal to relationships if only because not necessarily because one person wants to get involved in orgies and the other doesn't but because um you know one person may want to go do one thing and the other person wants to go do another thing and it's like well we're supposed to be together i want to do this you want to do that and it causes a lot of tension and then when you add to it all the opportunities for all the skin that's on display turning heads or whatever or temptations or someone has a bad trip or whatever and you don't get to do the whatever it's lethal on relationships now this was a really strong couple so they were able to withstand that but in general like Burning Man is renowned for like if you're going in a relationship either like pretend you're not in the relationship right. when you go to Burning Man or prepare to come out not in a relationship yeah and also just also just to be kind of weary given that we have an audience with you know mostly we're, we're inherent we have people from all faiths backgrounds who listen to our mm-hmm. show but you wary that if you do look up even if you start looking Google images for Burning Man if you have friends who have gone to Burning Man you start scrolling through pictures you're probably going to see things you you might not you might regret seeing later that's just the nature of the festival that's just the nature and it's on it's a byproduct too of the worldview of do out do as that wilt yes you see that put on display at this festival very much so i mean mostly if you go looking for burning man you'll see lots of really like gauzy edited videos of people having this happy cheery sunshiny good time and those things are real but behind the scenes of all that people are not gonna they're not gonna post the videos of the orgy dome they're not going to post videos of people getting in fights they're not going to post people of you know passing out you know being sick falling down whatever like you're not going to see all that stuff but it's a it's a big part of the festival like it's it's very difficult to avoid drama and strife and conflict at the festival it's just well, part even, of it. well even now when you look at but they're not going to put in yeah, videos we're gonna maybe talk about this later um ayahuasca psychedelics dmt oh, yeah those things are being normalized everywhere. 
Joe yeah. Rogan, uh, Aubrey Marcus, who yeah. we're going to uh, talk about his conversation yep. uh, with Aaron Rodgers. This is this is being normalized, even in the field of mental health. This is a good and great thing. What a lot of times isn't shared is the bat when you see someone experiencing a bad trip. It's yeah. not a pretty thing to observe. Yeah. You ob- I'm, when you were there, that w- that's something that would be eighty thousand people yeah. at a festival. That's got to be something that's not on the flashy happy highlights right absolutely and you and the thing is you can't escape from the festival there's nowhere you can go because there's always there's always loud music playing somewhere there's always chaos there's always noise it quiets down at night but there's no escape from the heat and the dust and the intensity and yeah like you know some of these some of these things aren't necessarily done in public like if you're going to be you know smoking dmt which is definitely done there it's in private tents but you got no idea what's going on in there you can't control your environment you can't control control your influences and people are just throw rolling themselves into this and it's like fantastically dangerous fantastically mm-hmm. dangerous and, and i've had some bad trips in other circumstances i never did psychedelics like that at burning man i've had some bad trips and it's it's a bad scene it's a bad it's a bad scene and to hear people talking about psychedelics in the mainstream without acknowledging the real danger that comes with these substances is it's it's pretty shocking to me hmm Hey everyone, we want to make sure that you check out our merchandise store. If you go to shopcultish.com, you can check out all of our awesome cultish merch. We got everything from t-shirts to coffee cups to stickers, everything to start great conversations. And so if you want to go to shopcultish.com, you can see all the different merchandise options that are available for you. Also, a program like this cannot continue without your support. So please consider donating to Coltish. You can go to the uh, coltishshow.com. There is a donate tab. You can donate one time or monthly. And we are so thankful for all of you who have supported us and continue to support us. So again, the coltishshow.com donate tab. Thank you so much for supporting us. And now back to the episode. Yeah. Um, so 2008, you went, you came experienced the same thing what was what, in regards to the i'm sorry 20 i keep on thinking of 2008 hmm. uh, so 2013, 2013 the 10-year difference what was the difference in regards to like growth popularity the difference between the festivals like what what was the main differences that you saw at that time uh, in 2003, again, it was very much the Wild West. Things were made out of plywood. You know, there were cure, crude, like, flamethrowers because fire was a big thing in the desert and lasers and stuff. Yeah. Cut to 10 years later, Burning Man had gone pro. You have camps spending literally millions of dollars to build giant outdoor, like, quasi-nightclubs. There was, uh, there was a, a truck called uh, the Robot Heart. And the Robot Heart is a giant bus that uh, was this multi, multi-million dollar project with this giant nightclub quality sound system that would just drive around and be this roving rave. So you had gone from, you know, you had gone from, from camps made of, of plywood and, and pipe, uh, like that sort of plastic piping that you use in, in like at your home or whatever, like under your sink, to right. like giant multi-million dollar art cars you know, that take a year to build and drive in and drive out. It had really gone pro. And then in that, in that decade, Burning Man had gone from something that you kind of whispered to people that you were going to, and you didn't tell your boss about in the Bay area, at least it had gone to now the big tech executives are going. And so there are whole camps full of like luxury buses that 
park in a circle and that you need a wristband to get into where all the food is cooked for them and everything like that. It became a vacation for tech executives. That's that's what it had become in about mm. a decade. And to the point where Burning Man had been an underground part of San Francisco culture to part of San Francisco culture, meaning like mm-hmm. participation in Burning Man was like just something that everyone took for granted. And, if, and you just kind of say, oh, I'm going to Burning Man for my vacation. And it wasn't something to be ashamed of. It was something to kind of celebrate the rest of the year as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then... So then, like time-wise, though, from then, but then you had a shorter two-year gap between 2013 uh, and yeah. 2015. Did the did any of the traveling for you personally take place between those two times? No, because during that two-year gap is when uh, we, we started out the conversation talking about the tarot cards, yeah. and it was in that two-year gap that I had discovered um, the Western occult tradition that the tarot cards are based on. Yeah, so. tell us a little bit about that, and it's connected to your also. You, you said you, you had the Jewish background growing up, and mm-hmm. we we do know. Um, that is connected to the Kabbalah. Was yeah. that, and those two things kind of work together. Was there a place of identification of getting into that for you? Well, when I was a kid, I just knew about the Torah. And so I didn't, I didn't know much about that, but I, I, I got a tattoo. I want to say it was like in 2013 and it's on my, it's on my left shoulder. Um, I can't really show you right now, but it's, um, I had, I had been to Israel on a birthright Israel trip. And for those who don't know, uh, birthright Israel is an all expense paid trip to Israel for 10, a 10 day tour that's available to all, um, uh, Jewish uh, boys and girls around the world between the ages of like 18 and 27. Mm-hmm. So all I had to do was prove that I have Jewish ancestry and then I can, I have to get myself to an East coast airport and then birthright Israel pays for everything else after that. Mm-hmm. So I went on a birthright Israel trip while I was there. I got a tattoo of an Israeli flag. Right. And I didn't like the tattoo. Uh, it wasn't a very good tattoo. So I got it covered up in 2013 mm-hmm. and, uh, on on the cover up, I had the words tikkun olam, which is a which is a Hebrew phrase meaning to heal the world. So uh, I posted that on Facebook in 2013. Um, like this is this is because it was stuff was going on with Israel. So this is what Judaism means to me. That post kind of went viral, mm-hmm. and I someone reached out to me. He's like, Hey, have you ever heard of the Kabbalah? I'm like, I know what it is, but a little bit. It's like, Hey, your your tattoo has some has some meaning. You might want to look into. Here yeah. you can sign up with this school and study more about the Kabbalah. And so that was a whole area of uh, mysticism that I'd never explored before. So I had done all of the Hinduism and all the Buddhism and the Vedanta, and I explored all that, and I had a good grasp on it. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of the Western occult tradition. So that's when, that's the shadow side of the yeah. new age in a way. So that's when I started exploring that whole world. Mm. Yeah. Let me, uh, let's do this. I feel like we, this has gotten everyone super intrigued. Um, this is the first part of our conversation. And at some point we got to, we got cut off so I can produce, help our producers. Sure. So they're not overwhelmed. So let's do this. Let's go ahead. And we're going to be talking more about the Kabbalah, that gap, and then we're also going to talk about further experiences with Burning Man and some of the other things you experience as well, too. traveling. In your travels. Yeah. Quite a, uh, yes, definitely quite a trip, both literally, yeah. <laughs> both, both in traveling, but also in some of the stuff that you're using, which you find out later wasn't a good thing. <laughs> wasn't you, that, catch, yeah. you catch my drift. I do, yeah. Um, <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, so if you guys have enjoyed this episode with Will, uh, definitely check that out. Real quickly, uh, we'll... 
you have a podcast. I do. Tell everyone just real quickly about uh, the podcast, where they can find you, and what you're and where and what you're all about. So my podcast is called The Renaissance of Men. Uh, one of the things I've been studying, as I mentioned earlier, in addition to spirituality, was masculinity. I've been studying it for 20 years and helped change my own life by discovering what that meant. And I discovered that there are many other men around the world asking the same questions. So I started a podcast to speak to some of these men that are trying to recreate what it means to be a masculine man, and some women that are trying to recreate what it means to be a feminine woman. And that helped lead me to Christ. And so now my podcast is talking about masculinity, Christianity, femininity, and that's the Renaissance of Men. And you can find that by going to Linktree slash Ren of Men is probably mm-hmm. the best place to go. Which to also keep you all waiting, the nature of uh, masculine, feminine, that's also directly related to the new age in identity mm. and how that also affects who we are now in Christ. So that we're going to be kind of exploring what you talk about in the podcast but also in, in linear, like with your testimony and also like how we address it in the real world. Yeah. And we analyze those clips later on of Aubrey Marcus and Aaron Rodgers. So, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait. Sounds All good. right. If you guys enjoyed this episode, let us know what you thought. Comment on our social media. And as always, a program like this cannot continue without your support. All that being said, we will talk to you guys next uh, week on Cultists. We're entering to the kingdom of the Colts. Talk to you guys soon.